this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Well, Jay, this week, our friend from Down Under, Mr. Gavin Reed, he has his second requested review of the year. Man, getting getting greedy. Well, you know, Gavin won a bunch of contests years ago with us yeah. in which we promised yep. them free reviews for a lifetime, thinking that the <laughs> podcast would only last like four years. And now we're in year seven. Uh, so, no, he usually brings good stuff. So I'm, I'm always... I'm always happy when I see his stuff on the schedule. He does. He always, uh, he always throws, you know, each year we usually go at least two picks out of him, sometimes three, sometimes four. And some of them will be, uh, you know, what we expect. We, we kind of have figured out what Gavin likes in terms of, you know, his previous picks and what he's enthusiastic about. But then we also get, he throws us some curveballs occasionally, which we, we like to get those, uh, those curveballs when we can. Uh, we'll figure out this this week if it's a curveball or if it's uh, one of the um, predictable ones, you could say, from Gavin. And it's uh, a band called 28 Days. They're from Australia. And we're doing their album called Up Style Down. Now, like the, um, Jay, like the episode uh, from a couple weeks ago, with Marvelous 3, we did allow for a pick that came out in the year 2000, and this yeah. album also came out in 2000. Tim, what's going on? What is going on? See, what people need to know is that this is part of our master plan of extending <laughs> Dig Me Out forward and backwards into the 80s and into the 2000s, which we will then branch off into separate podcasts and create a podcasting empire reviewing albums from every decade. This is just putting our toes in the water. Right, right, right. We're putting our toes in the water with 28 days. Exactly. And Marvelous 3. <laughs> right. Yeah. We're, we're gauging the, the interest of, of, the, uh, of the internet. <laughs> For the millions of fans of those bands to show up and yep. really allow us to expand. Plus, we'd both like to just quit our jobs and just podcast every day. You know, well, of course. Monday we would do the Dig Me Out 60s, Tuesday Dig Me Out 70s, right. so on and so forth. Oh, uh, I would love to do that. And I think it's a good time to mention too. I don't know if we make this clear, but is this a P- Patreon request from Gavin? No, this is one of his okay. wins from now his his so he, his January pick and his February pick are both wins from previous years. His March pick will be a Patreon pick. Okay. And then I believe he said he has a, a just a um, request to review pick that he's going to make uh, that you'll be interested in, Jay. I'm not going to give it away yet because he hasn't actually made the pick, but he said he mm-hmm. had one lined up for April uh, that was going to be one that you were going to especially enjoy. Album that came out in the 90s. Um, I'll just say that the initials DLR were involved. Let's just put it that way. Oh, yes. And, uh, but Gavin's got to make that pick. We, I, he hasn't done that yet. Right, 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 right. Um, that's awesome. I'm excited about that. Uh, we might have to pa- get Gavin on for that one. 
Yeah, that'd be great. Um, on the Patreon front, so to make it clear, we're we're coming around on our first year doing Patreon. So some of the requests you're going to hear are based on the folks who have committed to the two dollars and fifty cents a month level. Yep. Right. Yeah. If you if you do that for twelve months, you get a free review. Mm-hmm. So think about that. I mean, what do you spend two dollars and fifty cents on during the day? A cup of coffee. Maybe like something from the vending machine. There you go. That's a good way to that's a good way to frame it. And we just it. had a new pledger at two fifty. Josh Baylor just joined us at the two fifty level. So Josh, nice. welcome. In February of twenty eighteen, you'll be picking your requested review. And then of course Josh is eligible for all of for all of our contests that we're gonna be having this year. I've already got one of the prizes in my hand right now as I speak. For our first quarter, we're going to do a quarterly contest this year. So our first one will be in March at the end of the first quarter. And uh, it'll be uh, what I'm holding in my hand. That's It'll be one of one physical item and then a non-physical item, which you can Meta- probably a guess. A metaphysical item? A metaphysical item. It'll be Transcendence, Jay. <laughs> We can afford to give that away all day. Peace of mind is what we're giving away. (laughs) So let's talk about 28 Days and their album Upstyle Down from the year 2000. Jay, were you familiar with this record? I was not. No, not at all. Okay. Was this a movie? 28 Days. Well, you have 28 Days, which is the... Sandra Bullock, uh, Alcoholic Anonymous mo- movie. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And then you have 28 Days Later, which is yeah. the uh, Cillian Murphy uh, zombie movie, which then spawned the uh, sequel 28 Weeks Later. Wow. Uh, which also, which did not, no, I don't think Cillian Murphy was in that one, um, but I think they're going to do a 28 Months Later movie. I think that's the rumor. What what am I missing here? What's significant about 28 days? Why are there so many things called that? That's a good question. I don't know. Maybe there's a some sort of a Illuminati aspect to right. it. That's what I'm guessing. That's just my hmm. just Mayans. Mayans probably. Yeah. Okay. Um we got some Patreon feedback. Steven said I think this record is a bit too divided. A band like Zebrahead, for better or worse, seemed to meld the two styles much better than these guys did. When they're not messing with the hip-hop influence stuff, I kind of dig it, but the album is so disjointed, makes for a tough listen. We're going to get into what Steven's talking about with his comment. Let's just talk about a little bit on the history of uh, 28 Days. History of the band. So, as mentioned, they're from Australia, specifically Melbourne. Formed in 1997. Uh, The band members who formed 28 Days originally were Jay Dunn, lead vocalist, guitarist Simon Hepburn, bassist Damian Gardner, uh, and drummer Adrian Griffin, and then they had Jason Jedi Howard 
on the turntables. Now, uh, this band did have a, uh, a bit of tragedy. Their original drummer uh, was Scott Murray. He died um, in 2001 after the release of this record. Um, from what I read, it was he was walking home from band practice and he was hit by a car and killed. Wow. Yeah. That's awful. Terrible. And so just to get into the discography a little bit, the original uh, album, 28 Days, self-titled, came out in 1998. That was released on an um, indie label called Stubble. And then they ended up signing to a larger label called Sputnik in Australia to release an EP and then this album, Upstyle Down, which came out in 2000 and was went to number one on the um, Aria charts, which is the, I guess, equivalent of Billboard for the United States. And then in 2002, they released the album Stealing Chairs, which made it to number six. In 2004, Extremist Makeover, that went to number 31. Then there was a bit of a hiatus, and they released 10 Years of Cheap, fame which was a compilation album in 2007 they kind of broke up in 2007 and then got back together in 2009 with a demo of a new song on their myspace page for people who had myspace back in 2009 and they've played um on and off shows uh between 2009 and 2013 and they still have an active website and i don't know if there's an entire new album there are two or a new song came out in 2015, Unmarked Graves, and there's been some other stuff that's come out, but so far not a new full-length album. So that's the history of 28 Days. Let's get into what we thought about this record, Jay. We got the feedback from Steven. It was he said it was a divided record between the styles. So tell me, Jay. Uh, what did you like and what didn't you like in terms of uh, what divided this record for you? Well, first off, why do I keep going first? Because I... the tables. Okay, okay, I'll go first. Fine. That's fine. Fine, fine. Fine, whatever. I've gone first like five weeks in a row. Because I throw it to you. That's I what know. I do. I Bullshit. throw it to you. I'm throwing it back. Okay, well... Nice. I'm rubber. That was a that was a volley, I guess. We volleyed there. You're glue. Let's see. What did I like about this record? I liked <laughs> Okay, I'll be I'll be fourth forthright in my review here. Uh this is not an album that I expected Gavin to suggest. Hmm. Uh I was a bit uh taken aback by this choice. It is what we would call rap rock. As Steven mentioned, now the album, the first two albums kind of start out in like basically like late 90s punk rock, uh, you know, the punk rock beat, big, you know, heavy guitars in, in that like late 90s compressed guitar style. Yep. Um, you know, it's you, you, you hear the first two out, or first two songs. And you're like, OK, I kind of think where I know where this is going. And then you get to song three and you get this like funk junkies, some 41 rap rock. And you go, oh, okay. This is not what I was expecting. Yeah. 
a bunch of interludes between songs anywhere from 12 to 50 seconds of mm-hmm. like banter or noise stuff and um i think out of the 17 songs that are on this record there's actually only maybe um 12 actual songs so i think there's there's quite a few interludes it kind of follows that path where you'll have like a couple of i guess you'd say more traditional punk or hardcore songs. Um, and they're definitely not on the, like, this isn't mall punk. This isn't like, you know, this is, they, they're pretty heavy on terms of what they're doing guitar wise. And, and it's pretty aggressive. And then they throw a curveball like on track eight, which is, uh, Oh, what's the name of that song? I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Song, song for Jasmine. Song for Jasmine. Which sounds like uh, they listen to like a lot of Sunny Day Real Estate <laughs> because all of a sudden he starts actually singing. Yeah. And yeah. it has this almost emo feel to the, at least the verses. Yeah. Um, it gets a little more aggressive in the in the choruses. And if somebody had played me that song as like, okay, you haven't heard this band yet. This is here's a song from that album. I would have been really, really interested to check out the rest of the record. there isn't a single song like that on the entire record he doesn't really sing and they don't they're not as um expressive you know guitar and and rhythm section wise as they are on that song um they get close to it on on some parts there's uh bits of um i guess you'd say it's more like alt metal on like track five it starts out with this intro that's like oh okay this is not punk or rap rock but then it like it only uses that as an intro and then as a bridge yeah which was a bit disappointing and then i liked when they went the other way which is like track 11 rolling gang which kind of goes more in the suicidal tendencies kind of metal you know thrash kind of sound um but other than that i found myself really having a hard time connecting with this, I did not like this style of music when it was happening, and now that I'm older, I'm in the same boat. I still don't like most of what's going on here. I feel like I'm I'm telling kids to get off my lawn, 
but uh, <laughs> it just does not yeah. connect with me in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. I don't know if you felt it the same way or not. But Yes. So it combines a couple. I want to give them credit. It combines a couple different styles, but two of which uh, I'm not a fan of. Right. So I'm not a fan of uh, a huge fan of sort of pop punk um, like you described earlier. I'm also not a fan of hip hop or rap. So you're combining two things that together that I, I don't necessarily gravitate to. Um, to be fair, on the things I do like, it, it is produced in a way that makes both of those two things a little easier to take. Um, so it is thick. You know, the drums are pretty beefy for yeah. for for punk. You know, usually in a punk, especially played this this speed, you're going to hear like, you know, snare drums that are tuned a lot higher, and you're going to hear guitars that maybe aren't this beefy. So in that, it carries a little more weight, which I think helps quite a bit. Uh, keep you keep it sounding well. First, it does sound while it's disjointed from a song writing standpoint, I don't think it's disjointed from a sonic point of view. No, no. Um, which is good. I think if you had both going on to be a total disaster, right? If you're switching mm-hmm. styles from singing to screaming to rapping, and then musically it's all over the place um, as well from a production standpoint and instrumentation standpoint, then you've got, you know, a real, dumpster fire on your hands um so even though they can shift around to those different types of i guess genres i think they do a pretty good job keeping it wrapped in the same kind of package so i'll I'll give them credit for that i think there is some melodic tendencies here that that actually are, are fairly promising you know, song for Jasmine. I agree. I actually, the way I thought of that is, is I heard, I heard the sunny day kind of emo thing, but I also heard a punk band playing Oasis, hmm. <laughs> you know, like, Hey, this is what we know how to play, but we want to write a song like that and let's give that a shot. And that's kind of like what they came up with. Um, you know, it's just my sort of take of what I heard there. Right. I like those moments. Um, I like the tune information overload. I thought that was pretty well done. Yeah, I was going to highlight that one too. There's moments where they hit this like alternative sound uh, with some melody and some real sort of either anger or angst to it that I think actually works pretty well. Uh, It's just, it's fleeting, you know, around it is a lot of other various stuff, you know? So you've got, we mentioned the rapping, but then you've also got you know, sampling going on and you've got, um, turntable stuff and I don't, it just doesn't hold up. 
You know, I, I don't know. Um, I'd be no. curious to hear from people who were into that sort of thing. If there are records that use those elements that to this day really still hold up outside of maybe rage against the machine, which even that stuff, I, I haven't listened to in years and would be curious to see if it holds up. But like, does any of that hold up in terms of time? Or was it all just stamped in that late 90s, early 2000s period, and it just can't get out of that? Um, with information overload, I thought that there were tinges of like at the drive-in with yeah. that song. Um, but to your point, I, I agree that it just feels like so much of this is like instantly dated in terms of the, you know, turntable scratches and the you know the on one song um track 14 um mm-hmm. deadly I mean, like that's just a straight up hip-hop song with some yeah. like heavy guitars <laughs> in the background <laughs> my note is uh humpty dance <laughs> humpty dance with a heavy guitar riff dropped in yeah and like, that, like that's the rhythmic bed of that is very similar to that song and I think the thing that separates a band like Rage Against the Machine is that there was no use of a turntable. That was all Tom Morello using guitar to create sounds. So when you hear like the Bulls on Parade solo where it sounds like a turntable, it's him using a wah pedal and rubbing his fingers on the strings up and down to create this effect which sounds sort of familiar but it actually is is not what what it appears to be yeah and i think that tom morello's approach was that he just wanted to deconstruct he wanted to create black sabbath riffs combined with hip-hop which was what he was you know what i mean like yep he didn't want to use a turntable for that or a sampler he wanted to straight up create everything organically on his guitar which is why i think in some respects you know you can pick apart the lyrics of that band and and question some of the stuff but i think musically that band stands up in terms Mm -hmm. of what they did whereas you know musically i don't feel like this stands up as well um simply because of so many things that sound very 1999 2000 2001 and like i mentioned like funk junkies being the the band that came up you know they're a more obscure band but they covered um kisses i love it loud that was like their big single really yeah uh, i'm completely should... unaware of this band or the yeah it came out in like 95 or 96 huh. it's like a hip-hop version of you know, a hip hop rap metal version of a funk of a kiss. Mm-hmm. And I liked it only cause it was dumb. Cause it was like, yeah. okay, it's kiss. That song lends itself to being covered in, in such a way, I guess. Yeah. So it didn't bother me. Um, I just thought it was dumb, but I never looked at them and thought, I think these guys are going to have an awesome career. Like, and these are this is an important artist that I need to follow. Sure. Like it was one and done with one song, right. and, and that was it. And that's why I, I really couldn't stand like some forty one, because it was like, oh, they think they're like 
they think that this is real. Like, this is ridiculous. I mean, taking that hybrid of punk and, and rap just seemed like so dopey to me. And it, it just it just doesn't it doesn't fly with me. I just I cannot. I don't know. Well, it seems like the lyrics too when they rap, they get all like self-referential. Like they they're they're rapping about rapping, right? At moments, and like nostalgia, and they're like even referencing that their their rap style is an early '80s kind of style. Well, and, I. I I guess the lead singer was pretty open about his worship of the Beastie Boys. So, right, but it's just like okay, <laughs> you know, you know, twenty years later, you're listening to it like, could we be less obvious about this? Like, right? Could you interpret it in your own way in some some capacity, or let me appreciate it as yours? I'll leave it a little bit instead of just immediately going to well. I liked rap mu- music in the early '80s. I liked the Beastie Boys, and literally, here is me doing that. And <laughs> you know, I don't want this to devolve into an entire discussion about you know the social and economic uh, realities behind a lot of hip hop music. But there's a much different cultural standpoint that hip hop derives from than a, a bunch of guys playing in punk band or playing in a punk band. And then, you know, really liking the Beastie Boys and wanting to sound like them, it's it just smacks of this like cultural appropriation that I'm really uncomfortable with. Mm. That, um, you know, because I, I I know you're not a big hip hop fan. I don't consider yep. myself the world's biggest hip hop fan, but I do appreciate a lot of different hip hop. And Public Enemy happens to be one of my favorite bands because of growing up you know, sort of naive and being uh, tuned into Public Enemy at a young age and, you know, making me not just appreciate the music that they were making, but also the political and socioeconomic statements that were being made by Chuck D and and Flavor Flav and the band. And that opened my eyes. And, you know, I'm one of those people that, you know, if if an author gets mentioned or a a musician gets mentioned by a band that I like, I'm going to go investigate that. So it mm-hmm. makes me go read about history and it makes me go check out artists I wouldn't have checked out. Whereas when I listen to something like this or bands similar, there's no like, there's no, there's nothing deep to it. And it's just like, I don't know. It's just this, uh, you know, limp biscuit dumbed down version of what I think is actually a fairly important you know, cultural movement. And it, it kind of rubs me the wrong way with regards to that. So yeah, that's where my sort of agitation with, with music like this derives from, because I, I just think it takes something that's not that not that all hip hop has to be, or rap has to be serious, but yeah, I would say that uh, there are probably two tunes on this record that I, like and neither of them involved the hip hop. <laughs> uh that is exactly what I have highlighted. I have two songs highlighted. Yeah. Information overload and what you know. Are the two that I have. Um there are some other moments that I like where they're going, but they they tend to sabotage it. I, I gotta say too, 
it's unfortunate. We, we weren't able to listen to this record, um, through Spotify or Apple music. Yeah. Boy, it's really as a side note, if, if, if YouTube is where people are listening to music, my God, is it a terrible experience for listening to music? I don't even know. I I think we listened to both listened to the full album version, Mm -hmm. which is basically one video clip that's got all the tracks. And then you have to figure out how to correspond the time codes and for a record that has interludes, yeah, that becomes nearly impossible to understand what the hell you're listening to. Um, and then I went and listened to the playlist version, and it has different versions of the song. So something like Deadly Like is different than what I heard on the full album. It's just confusing. So not that I don't think our review would be any you know dramatically different if we had a real version of this in some way, but uh, <laughs> it's just man if people are listening to if using youtube is the way to listen to music i i there I, I don't understand what they're doing it's just a horrible experience no and and maybe this is available on spotify in australia but it's not in the united states and i couldn't find really a way to listen to it so i like you I had to listen to it to youtube and since i'm going to be putting music in the episode i had to rip the music off of oh, youtube geez. and then put it into garage band cut it up into the individual tracks and then export them into my iTunes and oh. rename all of them and order them correctly so that I could then put the songs into this episode. So basically what I'm saying is I put a lot of work into this. <laughs> Gavin, send us the MP3s next time, please. Yeah, I should have, uh, you know, I should have asked. Yeah. Gavin would have happily provided the MP3s. Right. So uh, I will make sure to do that if his, in case his next pick uh, for March is not uh, listed on our Spotify. So didn't you think that real quick, didn't you think this record was older than it was? Well, maybe you knew the year. I didn't know the year. I thought it was much older than 2000. I would have guessed maybe even early nineties. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit with the fact that this came out in 2000. Am I off base there? Mm, I, I don't think it feels off base because that's when a lot of this was happening. You know, this is po- like Limp Bizkit, Sum 41, all that kind of stuff was happening around this time. So it makes sense. And if you read if you read um, the All Music entry on their biography, the uh-huh. first sentence goes, 28 days held the potentially dubious title of being Australia's premier rap metal band. <laughs> <laughs> which they nevertheless parlayed into a lucrative 10-year career that included two gold albums, one of which entered the charts at number one. So even their bio is somewhat skeptical of the reality of their success. All right. Yeah, this is... The yeah, Aust- I guess that makes you know, sense. Canada I... had some 41, America had Limp Biscuit, Australia had 28 days. Gotcha. That's that makes I, sense. That's the way I look at it. That makes and, sense. And... uh we're all better for it. <laughs> Are we? Okay. I don't know. Uh, Jay, so I think we've both chimed in in the Worthy Album, Better EP, Decent Single. I think we're both at a decent single yeah. on this record. Uh, neither of us are particularly um, enthused with this record. Indeed. But that's okay. You know? Even the the best of hitters in the in the Major League Baseball only 
uh, get a hit seven out of ten times, or excuse me, three out of ten times. Seven out of ten times <laughs> yeah, they strike seven, out. Geez. So, uh, Gavin, sorry, we could not uh, endorse this pick. Uh, maybe this was some sort of a Turing test for us to uh, make sure that we were still human since we had had a bunch of really uh, albums that we really liked. I want to get a job where I make millions of dollars for being right only three out of ten times. <laughs> well, uh, insert sarcastic political statement here, <laughs> and we shall move on. So we need to thank Gavin for his pick of 28 Days Up, Style, Down. Like we said, if you want to check it out, you're going to have to go to YouTube in the United States to uh, listen to the album. want to remind folks that... If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over on iTunes. We did get a new, not a review, but a new rating. So we're now at, I think, 26 five-star ratings. So I appreciate that. Wow. Yeah. Cool. I didn't know we had that many. That's awesome. And uh, like Jay mentioned earlier, join us over at Patreon. Giveaways, bonus content, previews of episodes, a buck a month or two fifty and you get a review after twelve months. So that's it. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber. Or request a review at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com. Dig me out.